morning, Overlake. So good to see y'all. Oh, what a great morning together. I'm, I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. Woo, what's up? Papa Witt, good to see you. Oh, dear. Man, a lively bunch this morning. This could be interesting, guys. I feel like you're kind of baiting me. This could be dangerous. Uh, well, guys, we're starting a six-week journey together. And so this will be week one of six weeks as we walk through a book called Galatians. It's in the Bible towards the back. And so we're going to look at that book for six weeks. And a total spoiler here, but it is packed full of this word of grace. And it's not just a word, and it's not just a theme, it's not just a doctrine, it's so much more. And so we'll be taking six weeks to unpack what grace is, how it impacts our lives, how it changes so much. And so that's what uh, uh, you can expect here at Overlake the next few weeks. But I want to start with this question, and actually that was a great little discussion for us to have with one another in the welcome time, but who loves to travel? And I'm not talking business travel, I'm talking like you get to go to the place you want to go. Yeah, a bunch of us, a bunch of us. Uh, I, I would absolutely have both hands raised on that one. I, there is something I just love about going to new places, experiencing new cultures, meeting new people, uh, tasting new foods. Uh, I, I love getting the, the, the new stamp even in my passport and just like looking through at the different places I've gotten to go. And, and I'm the weird one, like in the car. If we cross into a state I've never been before, I'm like the, that, that annoying sibling you grew up with where I like try to reach really far in front to say I was the first one in the state. And <laughs> so uh, I'm just weird like that. But I just, I just love travel. There's just so much. Even like when you're at a new place, just keeping your eyes open for some little local like trinket or, or artifact to bring home to a loved one. You, you don't maybe even know what it is, but it's like, hey, you know, here you go. Uh, so, so that's me. I just absolutely love traveling. Uh, but the reason I bring that up is this book that we'll be looking at together is written by a man named Paul. And this guy would have been in the first century part of like the Million Mile Club. The dude just was all over the place. He just traveled uh, the far reaches of the Roman Empire, really the known world. And, and so here's a man who loved to travel. And, and what drove him to want to travel to so many places was the exact message that we heard here last week. He was driven by this reality of a good news, of a gospel, of a story of this man named Jesus, of his life and death and resurrection. Come on, somebody. And he wanted everybody, he wanted everybody to hear this good news, that God's love is for everyone and that his son was sent and his son was Jesus and that he died, but three days later he rose again. And that same life that he has is for absolutely everyone who believes. And so that's what drove Paul to go to all these places. Uh, before we tear into uh, kind of the first chapter here, uh, my, my wife and I are in love with this show called This Is Us. Uh, we are just, oh yeah, totally, some, some others, others of you uh, apparently. Uh, that show, I'll tell you what, you know just about every episode you're going to laugh pretty hard. Like there's going to be a, a, a taste of joy and then get the Kleenexes ready because you're also going to cry. And, and we just love that show so much. But, but what the writers did with brilliance, with brilliance, is this, is this beautiful, like, kind of, they mastered the art of building context, of going back in time and kind of sharing stories and episodes of the characters' lives 
of what happened when they were born or when they were seven or when they were teenagers. And, and so what my heart would be is, before starting here, is to just give you a little bit of context, a little bit of context of this book, of what we'll be spending some time in. Uh, so the book of Galatians is written to a region, not a city. Uh, it's written to a region. So it'd be like how we live in the region of Cascadia. That's what this letter was sent to, was to a region known as Galatia, Roman province. And it's a place that Paul went to in his first of three really long missionary journeys. And so Paul went to these different towns in this region. And if you want to really kind of see what that first trip was like, just read uh, Acts chapters 13 and 14, and you'll get the whole bit. Uh, but I'll give you the play-by-play. -play. And, and it goes like this. So Paul and his ministry partner, Barnabas, different name, but kind of nice, uh, uh, feel the barn is kind of what comes to mind. Uh, but anyways, uh, so Paul and Barnabas, they go to Galatia, and they hit this first town named Pisidian Antioch. Pisidian Antioch. And what they do is what they always do, and that's just share Jesus with everyone, right? They just have this news to share. Crowds would come, guys. It would be crazy, packed full of crowds who would come and listen to Paul, and he was an excellent communicator. And people would hear him. And they would want to respond to the message that Paul gives. And so they would profess their belief in Jesus Christ and choose to walk into that relationship. And then Paul would go on to the next town. Well, what would happen is it wouldn't just be crowds that fall in love with Paul, but there'd also be this super angry sect of Judaism, kind of the traditionalists, the really like extremist Jews that were super opposed to Paul. They were not into this whole gospel thing, that God loves everyone and that all that's required is that you just receive this good news, believe in, in, in Jesus, and things are good. They wanted to make sure that the, the law that they had was still going to be kind of operational. And so they were super peeved by Paul. So at this first town, Pisidian Antioch, it says that they became jealous. They became jealous of Paul, the size crowds. And so they muscled him out of town. Him and Barnabas, they got kicked out of town. It says they got expelled from the region. And so what they did, check this out, they go 85 miles to the east. That would be almost going from here to Leavenworth. That's how far these guys travel to a now a town named Iconium. And when they get there, same thing. They just have to share this good news. So they do the same thing, only this time, those people that were all upset, bothered by it, they didn't just want to kick him out of town. They started to figure out a way to kill him. And so once Paul and Barnabas got news of the fact that there was a little bit of a scheming going around how to murder him, they, they booked it. They go 30, 30 miles over to the next town. And, and, and in that town, uh, they totally blew their cover on day one. It says, Paul heals a man who had been lame since birth. Bam. That will draw a crowd. When the whole community sees someone who's never walked their whole life, all of a sudden springing up, dancing around, you know, just, uh, I don't know, moonwalking, who knows. That draws a crowd. Paul uses that opportunity once more to share the gospel. This time, people had caught up to him. People from these other towns, again, these kind of extremists in Judaism, they show up, and they don't just talk about killing Paul. They actually prepare and actually make it happen right there, almost. It says, Paul got stoned. If it's your first time in church, you may be thinking, Paul sounds pretty progressive. Pick quite the day to toke on the reefer. And, uh, 
And what I, I, it wasn't like 21st century legalized marijuana we're talking about. These are rocks. People were picking up large stones and chucking them at Paul until he lay there lifeless. And they drag his life, dead body, dead life, whatever, his, his lifeless body, that's what I meant to say, out of town and leave him there. Only he wasn't dead, and this is what's crazy. It gives you a little insight into Paul's uh, kind of personality type here. Just total type A, driver, get it done. It says he heads out the next day to another town over 30 miles away. Does the same thing. Shares the gospel. You could not stop this man. It's like the mouse that just keeps getting in your house. Like, oh, what do we have to do? Like, like Paul was relentless, so passionate about sharing this gospel. And so let's tear into this book now that we have an idea of what it's about. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 1 is just kind of Paul introducing himself. And so I'm going to start in verse 2. And he titles it. He says, To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Nice, warm welcome, right? Just kind of throwing, reminding them the gospel, Jesus Christ, how it's God's will, how, how what Jesus does is a rescuing act on our behalf. But it kind of turns a little bit. Check this out as we get into verse 6 here. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul is livid, ticked, angry, all caps, thumbs down emojis, exclamation marks, like get in your minds. This was not a good letter to receive. They're getting called out. And I'll tell you why he's so angry in a moment, but let's continue. But even if we, kind of him, Barnabas, maybe others that professed to be apostles at the time, even if, even if we or an angel, even if an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, have you, have you ever been so mad you just kind of keep repeating the same thing? I'm, I'm sure your kids would be like, oh, you guys totally do it, you know? Here, Paul does the same thing. Verse 9, as, I, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. First fill-in, if you love to take notes, is simple, really easy. There's only one gospel. Paul is really clear on the first part of this letter that we're just now getting started into that there is only one gospel, and you don't mess with it. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. It is what it is, and it is fine all by itself. Don't need to touch it. What happened is after Paul went to these towns, shared the gospel, people began to follow Jesus, kind of started house churches, people started to meet together. He leaves the region, kind of circles back to his little home base before heading out on yet another missionary trip. But, but in that time frame, Paul had actually heard right after he left, other people started sweeping through. And they were called the Judaizers. And what they were doing was they were saying, hey, that's fine if you guys want to follow Jesus. If you want to believe he's the Messiah, okay, that's, that's great. That's great. You can follow him. However, 
You must also do this and this and this and this. Essentially pointing people back to the law, back to traditions, back to things they must do. Gentlemen, if you were a Gentile at the time, they would say, you must have a little surgery done called circumcision because Father Abraham had it done. Like, they were so staunch on a few things that they could not give up. They were adding hoops to jump through, essentially, if you wanted to follow Jesus. That's what these Judaizers were doing. And so people, maybe unknowingly, just believed them and started to then kind of follow under their teaching. And Paul is calling them out, saying, no, that's a totally different gospel, a gospel that, that's not even the gospel at all. The reality is, it's Jesus, and only Jesus, and grace, and only grace. And so Paul needs to write this letter to call them out. And what this is uh, kind of interesting, and I think needs to be brought up, so I'll kind of bring some clarity to this. If you were to travel today to different countries, different cultures, and you were to meet fellow brothers and sisters in Christ... They may talk different, they may look different, there may be cultural traditions that they adhere to. What makes us all common is the fact that our faith is in Jesus. Can a person be a Christ follower and yet adhere to some Jewish traditions? Absolutely. Can a person who maybe became a, became a Christian from, from a Muslim background... Can they still pray five times a day, have a season of fasting? because women still wear the headscarves? Absolutely. There's any number of ways people can look like, but what the gospel is, is that it's Jesus and Jesus alone, and none of the other things are required. None of the other things are needed. And so that's important for us to even realize. I've heard it said, I like this, Tony Campolo says, it's like mixing ice cream with manure. It doesn't do much to the manure, but it really makes the ice cream taste a little different. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying is, you guys have messed it up. It's good as is. There is no need to add to this gospel at all as to what Jesus has done at all. Richard Halverson has a great quote that I'd love to read to you. He says this, When Greeks got the gospel, they turned it into a philosophy. When the Romans got it, they turned it into a government. When the Europeans got it, they turned it into a culture. And when Americans got it, Lord forgive us, they turned it into a business. Ooh. For 2,000 years, we've been changing the gospel. There's only one gospel, and it's fine. Leave it alone. So what is the gospel? Well, I would say a better question may be, who is the gospel? And that's the second fill-in. So if you want to jot down, it's the, uh, Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Gospel simply means this. Gospel is, just means two words, good news. Uh, the name of Jesus, again, it means two words, God saves. The, the good news is that Jesus saves us, that God has saved us, that we have been rescued. That is the good news. Uh, the title of this week, and you'll notice every week in our series, has this word grace packed into it, because that's what we're going after. That's what we're understanding. That's what Paul's writing about. Really, this is a gospel of grace, a gospel of grace. And grace is simply the fact that there is something unearned, unmerited, undeserved, and it's love, it's goodness, it's support, it's a gift. That's what grace is. 
Uh, it's common, I feel like, to hear the words grace and mercy kind of interchanged, almost used in the same way. And yet they're different. They're two different things. Uh, I'll give you an example. Mercy, first of all. We'll start with mercy. Mercy is simply not getting something that you do deserve. Not getting something you do deserve. For example, maybe you've done something wrong. There's punishment involved, and yet that punishment isn't held against you. You don't have to pay a fine or serve time or whatever it is. When I was a senior in high school... I was coming home from a concert in downtown Spokane, out to the valley, packed full with uh, my friends, so, so us and a little, picture us in a 1988 Toyota Camry, packed full of uh, gr grown guys, not grown guys, young guys, uh, coming back, and we're cutting through the, 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 the South Hill, kind of in the, the back roads there and stuff, and I take a left-hand turn, immediately the red and blue lights come on behind me. My heart, our hearts, I should say, that whole car is just pounding. I'd never been pulled over before, late at night. And my mind just goes to the worst place immediately, going to jail. I'm, I'm, I'm there for life. This is done. Yeah, I, I don't know. Tell my mom I love her. You know, like, just, just worst case scenario. Straight-laced kid, and I'm just freaking out. And so here we are. Uh, officer comes up, asks for the usual, you know, like, license, registration, please. So I give him my license, open the glove box, poof, like, unused McDonald's, like, uh, uh, napkins and, and spoons from Wendy's and, like, I don't know, a gazillion Jiffy Lube coupons and, and just, like, just packed full of stuff. And I had insurance to prove I had insurance for, like, the last nine years under my mom's name and no proof within the last few years. Couldn't find the registration. Didn't even know what it looked like. Like, I was totally lost and confused. So officer's like, all right, well, how about everyone else? You give me your license, and, uh, and we'll see what the next step is. So now we're all freaking out. And one of my friends in the back's like, guys, I just got to tell you right away, I've done this, I've done this. It, like, just <laughs> total confessional. None of them were felonies, and it was all too much information. Officer comes back. He's like, tell you what. He's like, I, I pulled you over because you have your, your driver's side headlights out. He's like, you didn't give me proof of insurance. You couldn't prove that this car is even registered. I'll tell you what. I'll let you off because the ticket's 900 bucks. Yeah, you're freaking out. I was in high school, guys. $900 is the rest of your life. They, they might as well just take me, you know? At least the food's free, you know? He showed me mercy. As the laws are written, I probably should have had to pay at least something. But the man showed me mercy that day. Grace, though, grace is amazing. Grace is getting pulled over. Have a headlight out. Maybe you don't have, I don't know, insurance, registration. Who cares? Officer shows up and is like, hey, heard you could use a laptop. Here you go. Guys, what's crazy is there was actually a community where the local law enforcement chose to begin to do this during the holiday season, just to bless people. So check this out. A couple seconds here. Oh, I want to hug you. <laughs> that was so great. Thank you. Something your little boy might like. This just turned my bad day into a good one. <laughs> what? Yeah. Are you joking? No, it just fell off the back of a truck. You know, you didn't see the guy in the red sleigh? Sorry, the rap job isn't perfect. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Grace is receiving something unearned, unmerited, undeserved. A gift. A gift. And that gift is Jesus. 
Jesus' grace fully embodied. Fully embodied. We have to take this word grace off of the like, theological term shelf and remind us it's a person. It's a relational term. I love to quote a book I was reading this way, uh, week. The, the author posed this question, when was the last time a doctrine hugged you? Grace isn't a doctrine. It's a person. It's a person. And when Paul is going about sharing the good news, everything he says, every example he gives, every video he plays, every fill-in on his notes has to do with Jesus. Is pointing people to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He wants to make sure people understand the good news, the gospel, grace, the gift is Jesus is Jesus Christ, the one and the only. There's only one. No need to add, no need to change. It's Jesus. And that is what he was passionate about. Whenever I talk to, to first-time uh, guests that come to Overlake, I always tell them, hey, you came on a great Sunday. I always say the same thing. <laughs> and you know why? How, how I can say that with just clarity of conscience is because today we're talking about Jesus. When I bump into those of you that have been here 40 plus years, just think it's awesome. I say, man, isn't it good to be at church today? Today we're talking about Jesus. And I love that. That's why we pattern all that we do, all our energy, all the focus, all the effort. It all stands upon, it all starts with, it all ends with the person of Jesus and what he's called us to do. So let's pick up in this letter where we left off. Verse 10, here's what Paul continues writing to his audience. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying, I love that he says at one point, essentially I was, you know, guilty. I was pleasing people, trying to please God. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. There had been people, again, these Judaizers, kind of throwing shade at Paul. Essentially telling people like, hey, guys, Paul, he's, he's a dime a dozen. He just wants to come in town, feel good about himself, draw a huge crowd, tell people what they want to hear, just that God loves you, every one of you, regardless if you're Jew or Gentile, and kind of point you on the path of following Jesus, then he bounces. He's just, he's just all about people pleasing. Paul's like, yeah, right? You think I'm a people pleaser? He's like, well, there was a day where I was. That's when religion had a hold of me. That's when I was performance-driven and the things I did were out of a place of concern as to how others would view me, think about me, talk about me. Things I used to do, yes, were out of a, a, a vain kind of nonstop like, like engine that keeps going towards trying to get God to approve me. He's like, but I'll tell you what, I'm sure not a people pleaser anymore. Not since I've been following Jesus. Paul's like the worst people pleaser ever. He is. He shows up in town, gives a message, and gets kicked out. It's terrible. Shows up in the next town, gets kicked out. Oh, and people want to kill you. Sounds like a people pleaser. Next town, people try to kill you, like with stones, with rocks. You look at the rest of life, beatings, imprisonment. He is not concerned with pleasing people. He is only concerned with making sure people hear the good news. That's what Paul is about. And what he's saying is, hey, religion is the thing that gets you in trouble. That's what begins to be a people-pleasing type machine. That's where the problem then lies, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting, but grace will bring freedom. You don't have to worry about your works being enough 
to be approved by God because Jesus has already done that. That's what Paul is communicating to, to, again, his audiences. Verse 11, Paul continues. He says, I want you to know. Now listen up. This is key. What this unpacks is huge. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, hey, I didn't get that message I gave you, that good news I shared with you, the gospel. That wasn't from some textbook that I read. That wasn't something I just ripped off from NPR as I was driving into town and just kind of laced it up a little bit. Like, what I shared with you was not anything of human origin at all. What I shared with you was from Jesus Christ. And when we realize that Jesus is the gospel, what he's essentially saying is, hey, the gospel I shared with you is from the gospel. His name is Jesus. The good news I shared with you is from the good news himself. His name is Jesus. This grace that I've been trying to unpack and talk about with you is from grace himself, and his name is Jesus. He's pointing everyone back again to the source, that there's only one gospel, and that Jesus is the gospel. And in this last fill-in, if you are taking notes, is that the gospel is for everyone. Again, we can repeat that over and over again here at Overlake, because it is the good news. The good news is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Grace is for everyone. Let's read these last chunk of verses together. The last scripture we'll be in this morning. Starting in verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul is saying, hey, this good news is not just for the Jews. It's for everyone else. A Gentile is simply someone who's not a Jew. He's saying this is for everyone. And then he uses that phrase early on where he says, my previous way of life, again, Before I had that revelation, that encounter, before I met Jesus, what my life looked like was far different. And he begins to kind of unpack that, that he persecuted the church, that he was beyond many of his own age in in Judaism. And and essentially what he's saying is, Paul was, and by all scholars, they would say this, Paul really was like the Rhodes Scholar in Judaism. He, he was like first team Jew. He was like, he, 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 he was like the poster child at the time of what it looked like to be a good Jewish man. And, ability, and his abilities were off the charts as far as knowing and memorizing the Torah and, and almost being able to prove things. He, he very much had a gift, almost like a lawyer, of, of, of being able to back things up, debate things. And you see that in later letters. But what Paul's, all, but, but what Paul's saying is not only was I that... But essentially, I was also a terrorist. He was. He was killing Christians. He was so hyper-radicalized. He was going about trying to meet those who were coming and starting the church and sharing the good news. And he was trying to stop it. He was scheming ways how to to quench this Jesus movement that had happened right on the heels of that resurrection. 
And so the way I picture it, at least, and what we know for a fact, if you want to read Acts chapter 9, it talks about uh, that, that moment where, where uh, uh, Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's in his uh, Syria on, on a donkey, and he meets Jesus there. And he's on his way there, again, to persecute the church, an act of terrorism against the church. And I picture that same day, the Trinity being up in heaven, being like, we have to do something with the Saul of Tarsus. And that was Paul's name at that time. We're getting all kinds of prayer requests. People are super scared of this guy. People, people have been killed by this guy. People, people are, are, are afraid of what this man can do once he gets to Damascus. We have to do something. He is combating the movement that we were all about and getting this church moving, up and moving. And so I almost picture the father being like, Jesus, I'm going to send you down there, get a free agent deal signed and done. Meet this man. Bring him on to a winning team. Give him a new name. Give him a new number. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 9 is that Paul meets Jesus and he goes from being a terrorist to now all of a sudden the author of over half of the New Testament. We can't forget who Paul was before he met Jesus. He speaks to it all the time and it's important to recognize because again, he is sharing this fact, this reality that the gospel is for everyone. He's saying, I used to be a better Jew than all of you people. The gospel is for you. I used to be a terrorist. The gospel is for you, for all you radicalized, religious folk. I'm now recognizing that the gospel is for everyone, every Gentile, every man, every woman, everybody. And that is Paul's heart, and that's what he begins to communicate as he goes places. The gospel is for absolutely everyone, for every woman and every man, for every ISIS fighter and every U.S. Marine, for every race and every transgender. For every person sleeping in their car and every person living on the waterfront, the gospel is for everyone. We're going to do something incredibly awkward right now. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you in this moment, just simply begin to look around the room. Don't look at me. Don't look at the screens. Don't look at anything else. But just begin to look around at the other people in this room. And the awkward part is this. I'm asking you to just awkwardly connect eyes with just at least one other person. Oh, awkwardness meter is getting cranked up right now. Just look around. Connect eyes with that. Oh, isn't that weird? Oh, why do we hate that feeling so much? I don't know. Everyone you just saw... The gospel of grace is for them. Take a moment. Think of your family in your mind. Not just immediate family, but extended family. Those that don't even live in this area. Begin to think of your neighbors. Think of the people you see at the park. Think of the person that checks you out at the grocery store. Think of your coworkers. Maybe fellow classmates if you're in school. The gospel of grace is for each of them. It's for each of them. This idea is so hard. This, I don't know, having a, a love that is showered upon us that we can do nothing to earn, that we, we aren't even asked to earn or perform for, is so hard for me to get my mind wrapped around. I think there's just such a natural tendency to try to find something that makes you feel like, oh, now I've at least earned it. And I'd say over the last few months, I've just had a great, like, 
real-life learning illustration of what this looks like, of what grace looks like. And so I'll share with you what it is. But nearly four months ago, my wife and I had our baby boy. And I, I would say my wife and I, but it was really my wife. My wife had him. I was just there. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's little sailor, guys. There he is. And no, I'm not kidding you. I could stare at that all day and not get bored. I know the rest of you are like, when are they going to pull it down? Like, I've seen him, you know? <laughs> Do you guys see his little knee pads? How funny are those? Yeah, little leggings. Guys, they make everything now. It's dangerous, dangerous. I am so in love with Sailor. I love to hold him and look at him. The list of what he can do is about this big, and none of it's good. <laughs> the list of what he can't do is unending right now. I'm working so hard with him, guys. I'm like, come on, full sentences, full sentences, brother, come on. And he's just getting out little moans, you know, and then every once in a while, something cute, you know. You know, it's like, oh, that's a start. We can, we can start with a who, you know. We'll go from there. I'm trying so hard to teach him how to, like, put on his clothes so he can be, like, kind of independent. He's just not helping at all. Like, I'm reminding him, like, hey, buddy, you got to put the seat down after you go number one, okay? It's a polite thing to do. Not, no, no, still in diapers. And yet I'm crazy about him, guys. I would do anything for him. If it meant laying down my own life so that he could live, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Wouldn't even think about it. Done. And yet, what has he done to earn my love? Nothing. Maybe there's like a 13-year-old part of me that's like, man, I got the short end of this stick. But then like the 31-year-old, young, strong, and handsome, <laughs> intelligent... The other part of me is completely captivated by him, willing to just shower love upon love upon love and pour into him. There will be a day as he continues to grow and develop where he adds skills and gifts and abilities to who he is. And I am excited for those things, no question. But he doesn't need to do any of them to earn my love. I wouldn't even want him to begin to think he has to perform in a certain way to earn my love, to know that he's loved. My heart, hear this, the heart, the Father's heart in me, all I desire is I just want to share more time with him. I want to have more memories with him. I want to spend more life with him. That's what I want. And if the love that I'm creating helps to influence his life and maybe, maybe impact decision-making that he has, and, and, and steer him towards the things that are best for him, then absolutely, but I still want him to receive that love and still want life with me, memories with me, shared moments with me. I think that's what it looks like simply to just know what grace is and to receive it. And yet, friends, that's just a taste. That is just a hint. By no means am I a perfect father at all. And yet I think we can all begin to sense if that is just a part of that incredible gift of grace, the good news of grace, of who Jesus is, the love towards us, 
then I think, I think we want that. I think we all want to receive that. And so what I'd like to ask now is, I'm going to close this in prayer, but before I do, let's all please stand together because we're going to return into a moment of, of worship here shortly. But this gospel of grace is a real thing. It's not some term. It's not some doctrine. It's a person. It's Jesus. And the gift that he offers is eternal life. Again, unending opportunity to share moments together, memories together, to share life together. And his love for you is like that of a father for his children. Let's pray, and then let's worship. Lord, my prayer is that for those in here who have yet to experience, or maybe they have yet to even hear of the reality of how much you love them, would this be the day where they not just hear it, where they not just learn it, but would there be those in here, Lord, that receive it at the deepest levels of who we are, at a heart level, and then, Lord, I pray for those of us that maybe have encountered your grace, who maybe have declared uh, uh, to trust you, to walk with you, to, to spend our life with you. Would you just remind us that we don't have to do anything, that if we're wearing ourselves out with things that we're doing or saying or performing, would this just be a moment of just freedom, of just laying it all down? And would you help us with that? And then lastly, Lord, I just ask that you would just receive our love towards you. As we lift up your name and who you are, that you would enjoy that just as much as I totally enjoy when I see sailor smile or giggle. We love you so much, Lord. That's worship.